Welcome to the Autism Empowerment Podcast, your source for acceptance, enrichment, inspiration, and empowerment in autistic and autism communities worldwide. Wherever you identify in your autism or autistic journey, Autism Empowerment is here to meet you along the way. We are an autistic-led podcast, 501c3 nonprofit charity, and publisher of Spectrum Life magazine. Today's episode is a personal one for our host, Karen Krejcia. In March 2020, she became ill with COVID-19, and today we will be discussing that experience and her subsequent journey back to health with co-host John Krejcia. Karen originally wrote about these challenges in an article for Spectrum Life magazine's winter 2020-21 issue. It is part of the Stories from the Spectrum, Autism from an Autistic Perspective series, and can be found at www.spectrumlife.org. And we're off. Hi, Karen. Hello, John. How are you doing? I am doing pretty well for the shape I'm in. You look like you're in good shape to me. <laughs> I thought my shape was round. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways, um, hello to our audience. My name is John Kreitcher, and I'll be your co-host for today's episode of the Autism Empowerment Podcast. Hello to our listeners. Today's episode is going to be a bit different than the styling of the first two. Episode one was an introduction to Autism Empowerment, the organization, as well as our new Autism Empowerment Podcast. In episode two, we talked about Spectrum Life magazine, one of the key nonprofit programs of autism empowerment. I have to say, Karen, I've really been enjoying being in studio with you doing these podcasts. Yeah, I'm enjoying it too. After being on hiatus for so long and so cooped up during the pandemic, it feels really refreshing to be able to serve our community in this way. The fact that I get to do it with you and my best friend, that's a real blessing. It is. I, I have been blessed as well. Thank you. Now that we've had a couple of introductory type episodes out of the way, we're moving on to topics that are relevant for our times and of special interest to many in our community. Our format for today is going to be a question and answer back and forth information session about the experience that I had with COVID-19 starting back in March of 2020. This episode will be a little bit more of a weighty topic or a serious topic. One of the reasons why we have chosen to do this topic is because you, Karen, just recently wrote about your journey with COVID-19 in Spectrum Life Magazine's Winter Edition. And if it's okay with you, we can go along in the same format as the article. On a podcast, we can actually expand the conversation a little bit more. And if it's okay with you, I would love to give my viewpoint along the way as well. Sure, that works for me. You were there with me along my journey with COVID-19 and were truly my rock of support. For those out there who might be interested in reading my original article, we'll link to it in the show notes on our website at www.autismempowermentpodcast.org. We also offer show transcripts. Those get published within 24 to 48 hours after each show is published. So, Karen, first of all, why are we exploring this topic now on the podcast? Why talk about COVID-19 on the podcast? Well, it's obviously something that has been affecting our country for, at this point, over 10 months, and for me personally as well. The reason we wanted to cover it on the podcast is I'm an autistic woman, and we wanted to talk about how COVID affected somebody who's on the spectrum, as well as their family. John, I had some reservations about talking about this. When I became sick with COVID last year, it was a very difficult experience. And I can't begin to emphasize how important it is for me to express how difficult this journey has become. I wanted to talk about this on the Autism Empowerment Podcast. And although the experience 
won't be the same for everyone as COVID-19 tends to affect people in different ways, I thought talking about it from my personal perspective might provide some insight, some comfort, and some knowledge to people out there that might be curious. Although I don't normally go into these personal things about my health when it comes to this type of an issue, I thought it was really important to get that message out there. So let's give it a try and see what happens. I'm going to make myself vulnerable and we'll go with that. I really appreciate that because um, I was right there along with you during the, the whole time and I saw all of the pain and the issues that you were going through. If it can help any one person out there, it's going to be a blessing for them. So hopefully you'll enjoy this and you'll learn something along the way. So first of all, let's start at the beginning. What were your first symptoms and how did you come to think that you might have COVID-19? So back in early March 2020, I started to feel really run down, very exhausted, and I had this overall achiness. What was particularly noticeable was this headache that wouldn't go away. And it was different than any type of headache I had. And then when I would try to sleep, I just couldn't. I had these incredible chills. I could have maybe five, six, seven blankets on and couldn't get warm my body would shake, and it was just this terrible exhaustion and headache. Yeah, what I noticed, if anyone else knows Karen, she has a lot of energy. She's always going, and she's full of life. And it was just so sad to see from my vantage point because you probably only slept maybe five, six hours a day on a normal day, and you were then now sleeping or in bed 12 to 14 hours a day. So that was pretty amazing, a big difference that I first noticed. Yeah, When I could sleep, because in those first couple weeks, I couldn't. But then all of a sudden, I could. (laughs) But you're exhausted. You couldn't even get out of bed some days. No, no. Yeah. And you said the headaches. How did the headaches start, or did they just come on full force? It was a debilitating headache, like nothing I had ever experienced before. I've had migraines, and as an autistic woman, a lot of us get sensory headaches because we're overloaded. This isn't that. This was not that. It was a headache that started in the middle of my head in the front, and then it would radiate around to the back of my head, and nothing would touch it. I would take Tylenol. I'd try anything, and it just didn't work. The headache would just be there. It was excruciating. So when do you, or where do you think you caught COVID-19? Now, that is the million-dollar question. (laughs) At the time that this was happening, I was trying to finalize the spring 2020 issue of Spectrum Life magazine. Which was a good issue, by the way. Thank you. It was actually the last issue that we published before the one that just came out January 19th because of the COVID pandemic. So I had needed to concentrate. When I'm in the last stages of getting the magazine ready, I really am in editing mode. So it was very difficult to do with that pulsating headache. And as far as where I caught it from, the only thing I can really think of, because I was not being social at that time, not that I was particularly social (laughs) anyway. So back on February 24th, 2020, we went to an event at my youngest son's future high school. He was in eighth grade at the time. And it was an incoming freshman night for families and for students. And there was a lot of people there. Oh my goodness, there were hundreds. And that's the only place I can think of where I could have possibly caught it. Now, it's possible that one of you were out and somehow brought it home and you were just not symptomatic. I had not been going out at that time because I was working on the magazine. Who knows? I have no idea for sure. The good thing is that you're here now. 
So when did you know it was serious enough to contact your medical provider? Well, that debilitating headache was different than any headache I've ever had. As I mentioned before, it was not a sensory overload headache. It wasn't a migraine. Because you've had migraines before. I have. And I had some migraine prevention medication, and that did absolutely nothing. And I was not able to focus. So by March 19th, it was so extreme that I was willing to just get on the phone and go to the doctor. It was interesting because at that time, it seemed like you were starting to have a fever too. And the, that lethargic um, yeah, seemed to come over you. Yeah. So at that time, I was showing more symptoms of COVID-19. At that time, I was starting to have a cough. I did have fever and the chills were continuing. And at the time, I also had reduced sense of smell. That was really weird because at that point, that hadn't been really a common thing, right? Mm -mm. Reduced smell. No, it wasn't. And it's interesting because later on, I participated in a number of different studies about symptoms of COVID. And so I was sharing some of those initial studies like reduced sense of smell and reduced appetite and those types of things. And other people hadn't reported that stuff yet, but enough of us reported experiences with that, that it later became one of the symptoms of potentially having COVID-19. But anyway, and I'll tell you something, if I have trouble during this interview, it's what's called brain fog. And usually in podcasts, we can edit that out and we'll, I'm sure we'll do some editing as far as this goes, but it is incredibly difficult for me to formulate answers in my head and get them out of my mouth at a pace which makes any type of logical coherent sense in my head. So I'm struggling with these answers and I don't know what is going to make the final cut and what isn't, but we're probably going to be going through this for triple or quadruple the amount of time that you'll actually hear me on the podcast because it's so difficult for me to formulate answers to these questions. I'm going to do my best to help keep you on track and to keep you um, focused. Thank you. Not a problem. That. So you contacted your medical provider and then did you get tested right away? No, no. That So that again, that was March 19th. They didn't have tests. There were very few tests available in March and April in Washington and Oregon. I know that they were indicating otherwise on national TV in certain places, but it just wasn't the case here in Southwest Washington. Washington was the original hotspot. Where we live, it just wasn't possible. And the healthcare provider network that I go to serves Oregon and Southwest Washington. And Oregon was only getting 40 to 80 tests per day. I was told that I couldn't get tested unless I was hospitalized overnight or if I was a healthcare worker. Because at that time, it was interesting. Everyone was saying that there's tests, but then in the media, you'd hear, oh, there's no tests anywhere. And that seemed to go on for months and months. There was a lot of things that were happening behind the scenes that the general public didn't really know, and they weren't necessarily taking it as seriously because they really weren't aware of the seriousness of the issue. So I remember being there with you on those initial calls as well, and sometimes I had to take over for you because you just couldn't breathe or, or just because of the exhaustion or whatnot. And it was frustrating because they wouldn't be able to get you a test right away. What happened after the, those initial phone calls? Well, nothing. I mean, I was not getting better, you know. I think they prescribed you some supposedly high-dose headache medication, correct? Yeah. So what happened next? So over time, my symptoms began to get worse, and it started to really impact what I was able to do in the day. I, I kept having a fever, 
and the headache was, of course, still there. I started to cough. I didn't really have that cough before, and I had been a little concerned because I had pneumonia a few years prior, and so I was running a consistent fever, and my hacking cough was similar to the cough that I'd had when I'd had pneumonia, so I was really worried about that. And then, strangely enough, I began to notice how quickly I would get out of breath. I still, during that time, was trying to get some fresh air and go outside in the afternoon and walk. I'm not sure exactly what day it was, but I'd taken a 45-minute walk with you without a problem. But then the next day, I went downstairs to fill up a jug of water. And you were completely out of breath then, right? And I came back upstairs, and I was completely out of breath. It was shocking. I'd never had that type of an experience. It would be like as if I had been running miles, which, well... If anyone knows me, I don't run. But it was a really strange experience. It was scary, and I know my children noticed it, and they were a bit panicked. I don't know what the perspective was from your end. I was concerned because it was really odd because we had just been walking, I mean, consistently 45-minute, 50-minute walks pretty much every day and without any problem, then just all of a sudden, boom, the next day. I think what it was was just a lot of your symptoms were coming into full um, force at that time. And then you start coughing and all of these other things started to really rear their ugly head. Yeah. As I mentioned before, I first called in with my headache on March 19th. This was the end of March when I first ended up having to go into the emergency room. So what prompted that was a call to our provider and During that call, I ended up having this coughing fit that was so bad that I actually needed to excuse myself and go into the bathroom, and then I had trouble breathing. And I think the original call was because they had told us in a prior call that if your temperature was consistently over a certain point for three days, that you needed to call and then go in. I remember being very insistent that you call because we'd been keeping a chart of all of your temperatures and things like that. So then I insisted that you called. And because at that point you had a fever consistently for three or four days, and then you're coughing and all of the other symptoms as well. Yeah. As far as going into the emergency room, can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah. So I remember that was really late at night. And we were concerned because the nearest urgent care for us, for our provider network, is all the way across town, which is usually about a half hour away if there's traffic. But it was late at night, and we weren't sure how many people were going to be there. And we got to the parking lot, didn't know what to expect, but it was actually relatively empty. It was empty. And fortunately, I had an N95 mask, and so I had put that on. And I don't even know how I got in there. My head was hurting so badly. I I was helping you. But when I got in, I guess I looked bad enough and was coughing badly enough that they got me back there quickly. I know my temperature was really high, and I know that my oxygen was low. When I was in there, they got me into a room pretty quickly, but my oxygen levels dropped, and I know I had trouble breathing while I was in there, and the headache was just so bad. They wanted to give me a COVID test, but they didn't have any in the emergency room. So first they gave me an influenza test and were saying that if I tested positively for influenza, it wouldn't be COVID. So they thought that at the time, at least. I tested negative for influenza. At that point, we were having nurses and doctors come in and they were all having to be suited up in their PPE. But I remember 
specifically one of the nurses there telling me how low they were on PPE and that they really didn't have any. And that, that's personal protective equipment. Yes, personal protective equipment. I'm sorry. And I'm having a really hard time trying to talk about this. I have it in my head, but I just can't get it out, John. How about I, I talk a little bit and then you can jump in for, yeah. from my perspective. Yeah. Can I say something that sure. I do remember, though? Absolutely. I remember talking to the ER nurse about my headache. And I remember how concerned she was because she had known someone who was experiencing that same thing that was reporting that same thing with the headache, but it wasn't something that they were talking about in the news. And it was really one of these prominent headaches and they weren't talking about it. And I was trying to insist that this is a different headache. This is different than a headache that other people would present with. And I thought that was just so important to share. From my perspective, it was very bizarre because we've been emergency rooms many times over the years. And I've never been in an emergency room where it wasn't at least a 35, 40 minute wait before we even got into a room. And in this particular case, we drove up, there was no one in the parking lot. They had these tents set up, but since there was no one in, we were able just to walk right in. They took our temperature, we got registered, and there was no one in the emergency room, like in the waiting area. And I think when they said to go and wait, I was expecting to wait for a while. And probably within two or three minutes, they called you back for your vitals. And then they took you straight back to a room. Like you said, they did the influenza test and all of that. And it was just just an eerie feeling, just walking through, even back to getting you back to where your room was, people were like looking, does this person have COVID? Because it was so yeah. early on. Yeah. And, and it was just a very different type of feeling. I remember the nurse saying that they wanted to give you a COVID test, but that they were only giving COVID tests to people that they were admitting into the hospital overnight yeah. because for the more serious people, because they didn't have any tests. I think they said they had like only 10 tests or 12 tests or something like that. And they had to save those. And they had to save those. Yeah. And, but when we were finally um, discharged after probably about two or three hours, they had given you an inhaler and they said, assume that you have COVID-19. Yeah, and actually, yeah. And, and to go ahead and just quarantine for, you know, 14 days and make sure no one else has uh, contact. Yeah, so I remember actually when the one doctor did come in and we were talking a little bit back and forth about that type of experience. And definitely they didn't have any real question that I had COVID. It's just they couldn't take the test. Even the doctor, when you called in on the phone, had no question that it was COVID. Well, and then that was early on. And I guess some of the way that I described things was very similar. Well, and also when you you had your your coughing attacks, I remember one of them saying, oh, that's the COVID cough. So the the paperwork that I had that they gave was all about COVID-19 and what to do, and that my family and I needed to quarantine for 14 days, and that I needed to stay in quarantine as long as I continued to have fever, cough, or shortness of breath. So it wasn't just a matter of waiting until a certain time had passed. The symptoms had to be gone as well. There was a lot of stuff that was new at that time on how long would you be contagious for. People just really didn't know what to expect at that time. And even then, things have changed. Now they say 10 days to quarantine and all these things. So how long did you quarantine for? Oh, my goodness. So based on all of the information I was given and understand that I did go to the doctor a 
few times after this and did end up in the emergency room again. I was in quarantine for almost four months due to symptoms that didn't improve. We kept a chart of my daily temperature reads and oxygen levels and other symptoms. Although I was taking fever-reducing medication, I still had daily temperature readings over 100 degrees for the next few months and was absolutely exhausted. It was a journey we were going through privately because I did not really want anyone to worry. I actually had made a video. It was on April 2nd. It was Autism Acceptance Day, World Autism Acceptance Day. I had wanted to put out a video, but I did want to talk about COVID because I was afraid. This is difficult for me to talk about. I wasn't sure whether or not I was going to have an opportunity to be able to see my loved ones and my friends again. And I wanted to have a video just in case that were not to be happening. And this work with autism empowerment is so important to me. It's a calling for me. And I was so worried about COVID at that time because I knew how horrible I was feeling. And I did not want anyone out there to have to go through those things. So you had done the live video, John. Right. So can people actually still see that video? No, no, no. We had it up. And it got a few thousand views. And then I just, I had to take it down because I wanted to protect my family. I had this terrible coughing fit and I had to use an inhaler during it. And gosh, that was April 2nd. I felt probably the worst I felt was right around that time where I didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't have any access to any fancy drugs to... They, to help you <laughs> no, actually, they gave me some of they gave me a Z pack, right? They I went through a wide range of different things, different. Um, well, I had different types of inhalers, but they gave me different types of antibiotics. And they really weren't sure exactly what would work and what wouldn't. So it was more of a matter of trying to treat certain symptoms, treat the cough, treat the headache, treat the breathing, and then see what happens. And well, that makes pray a lot. <laughs> So what did you do while you were in quarantine? I tend to be a kind of person who likes to really stay busy. So I tried to be productive, but I couldn't. And it drove me bonkers because it was so hard for me to think and stay focused. In those early months, I slept a lot, as you had mentioned earlier. Absolutely. And boy, did I have vivid dreams. That was just the strangest. I'm a voracious reader, whether it be books, magazine articles, or blog posts. I enjoy both fiction and nonfiction. And I usually love reading, but I just had a very hard time doing so. What would happen is that I would pick up a book or I'd look at the computer monitor and I would sit and stare and read and reread the same paragraph over and over again. It was like I was in this nonstop loop and it was very frustrating. And I've been in loops before. Kind of like Groundhog Day? Like Groundhog Day. But with my autistic neurology, I tend to perseverate a lot of times on things and I can get stuck in loops. It may annoy other people, but this was to a point where I was really annoying myself. I just (laughs) was so annoyed at myself and I could not break from it. I, I couldn't really go online and it was so frustrating because I had so much work that I wanted to accomplish, so many things I wanted to do. People to serve. It would distract me. I felt, you know, I needed to do something positive, something were going to happen. And God forbid that I was going to pass early. I wanted to make sure that I was doing something to make a positive difference. But I really, I needed to rest. And if I tried to stare at the screen, I would get dizzy. So I ended up watching a lot of TV. 
And a ton of murder mysteries. That was good. <laughs> I think I've watched all the Dateline <laughs> mysteries now, and I've got the shows all memorized. I also watched a lot of news since I was in bed a lot. And I tend to watch a lot of different stations because I'm interested in hearing different viewpoints. However, when Chris Cuomo on CNN got sick with COVID in late March and started talking about it on air in early April, I just tuned in to listen to what he had to say about it because I could relate to the experience. And because so much wasn't being talked about at that time, it was still so new for so many people. And it helped reaffirm that I wasn't going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs with some of the weird symptoms I had. Every time I would hear that someone else would have this strange symptom that I was experiencing, I would like, yes, okay, (laughs) believe me, this is true, this is true. How do you think being autistic impacted you? I was living on sensory overload most of the time when it came to sensitivity to light and noise. For me, the way I describe my sensory system is that it's like a radio dial that's dialed up on high most of the time when it comes to noise. I hear things and lights. Oh, goodness gracious. Everything is so bright. And I'm a bloodhound and I can smell things from a mile away. But in this case, it was the strangest thing because my sense of smell was drastically diminished. It wasn't completely gone like some people who had COVID-19. They lost it completely or they lost their taste completely. But it was dramatically diminished. And it wasn't a commonly known symptom at the time. I'm normally a super sniffer. So, yeah, that was a really weird thing. As far as other ways that it impacted me. On my best days, I am not at all a fan of talking on the phone, even though I can do it. It's like, hey, why are you doing a podcast if you don't like talking? Well, it's different (laughs) talking to someone on the phone versus talking to all of our great listeners out there. That's true. But when we did our original podcast, I did it live with people. So I did about 100 shows where I was doing it live. So I don't know. There's just something When I can control the narrative, it's a little bit easier to focus. But anyway. So how were those initial phone calls then with doctors or medical providers? Oh, they were bloody horrible. On my best days, it's very hard for me to have conversations on the phone if I don't feel prepared for what's going to happen because I can't read body language. There's these awkward pauses and I have to try to memorize what I think the person's going to say and come up with all of the different possible reactions to that. But on my worst days when I'm feeling sick, it's impossible for me to process things because I'm just on this pause in my head. And even now I'm pausing between words. Which, I can't even that get, won't show up in the, in the podcast though, because we'll um, cut those out. Well, we'll probably cut out most of them. We may leave something in, but <laughs> it's going to be like a two hour show. My goodness. At this point. But yeah, it's almost impossible on my worst days to do phone calls because I really have a hard time processing what people say and turning that into a coherent reply. And because my voice tends to sound made for radio, people don't get that I'm not processing. So how was it with the doctors? Oh, it was horrible. Phone, by the way, is a commonly reported concern of a lot of autistic people. So there were so many phone calls and telehealth appointments to navigate. It was ridiculous because whenever we tried to call in, I never got to the person I needed right away. And to make things more frustrating, I kept needing to repeat my story over and over again with multiple people. I advocated for you to speak on my behalf. In fact, I insisted on it as much as I could. And you tried your best, but in almost every case, they had to talk to me. And even if I said, hey, please, I I give permission. This is just not working. 
And they just assumed that I was fine. Obviously, they knew I was sick, but they figured that I would be able to talk with them. And they didn't realize how slowly I was processing things. Well, I think, again, early on, people really just didn't know a lot about COVID-19. And I'm giving them, not giving them a full pass. Oh, no. But I think that's part of the issue as well. I know they were just doing their job and they meant well. And I get that. My frustration is probably more on my end at not being able to advocate for myself in the way that I would normally be able to do if I wasn't feeling so sick. And so those doctors, okay, I talked to them, but they got to sit through a lot of agitated coughing fits. And there was more than two times when I had to use my inhaler on the phone. So, Well, I remember even a couple of doctor's appointments, I wasn't even allowed to go into the hospital with you. That was really difficult because, as I mentioned, I have pretty strong self-advocacy skills when I'm feeling well, but when I'm sick, I don't. And then, of course, we're wearing the, the masks and We're trying to be able to communicate back and forth with one another when they're in there. They're all suited up and I'm in my mask. And uh, did you tell them that you were autistic? Oh, I tried. Yeah. They may have not even known what to do with that either. You know, at first, okay, let me clarify here, especially if there's any medical professionals listening, that I really thought and I still think that our healthcare providers were real heroes during this whole crisis and they still are. So as much as during my normal days of advocating, I promote to presume competence for people on the spectrum, I say, hey, presume competence, think high. Sometimes when people are sick, that competence might go straight out the window. That's why I don't like using functioning labels. I don't like it when people say people are high functioning or low functioning because it's situational sometimes. It's situational. You can take somebody who's relatively coherent and able to function on one day and the next day they can't even talk. They're selectively mute or they just can't convey what their needs are. And it's one of those things that is extremely frustrating. I tried to disclose being autistic and saying that I needed to have some sensory accommodations. And most of the time they could do something, but because the way that things everything were, was, yeah, because of the things that everything was, they couldn't all of the time. And so there were a couple times I was in rooms that the fluorescent lights were so bright and things were humming. I needed to have some sort of mask or sunglasses over my eyes and I just didn't have anything. Sometimes you get people that really mean well, but you tell them that you're just needing that extra support. And I don't know, sometimes in in a few cases, it just it felt like I just didn't appear or sound autistic enough for them to see that I really did need the support. I tend to talk with a voice that sounds like I know what I'm saying. That can work for me well if I need to be able to show competence. But if they say, what's your pain scale on a level of one to 10? And I say, my pain scale is a nine. And I'll say it in a tone that sounds like, well, I'm there's really no way a it's a nine. Right? No, she's got to be, she's just exaggerating. So it's either that or I make something up. Lie. <laughs> Lie. I mean, like, or, or pretend like I'm in agony. Woe is me. Like, oh, I'm at a nine. Ugh. Sorry. I tend to keep my pain internally or I'll share it with you. <laughs> Lucky you. But I don't let that out at a doctor's office. How anxiety producing was that type of feeling? I have a lot of anxiety. That's probably one of the things that's the most challenging. Did you think that the anxiety was at a higher it was, level? It was definitely at a higher level. And of course, I struggle with depression. 
this whole experience was just so draining. The whole experience triggered my depression. This goes beyond sadness. This was clinical depression. Right. And it stayed with me for quite some time. And I didn't know how to feel. I felt guilty because I was alive, because I saw so many people pass. I felt guilty that I wasn't being more productive. I felt sad that I really wasn't doing a good job of expressing myself. I felt disgusted with myself that I wasn't able to be there more for my kids and to be more intimate in my conversations with you and to be able to support my family and the community. I couldn't go on to social media. I had posted a couple times and I got a lot of responses of support, but I just felt guilty that I wasn't getting well sooner because that fever lasted for months. And for one, I didn't know if anybody would even believe me if I said that. Later, it was, again, reaffirming when I saw that a lot of people were experiencing these long-term symptoms. But at that time, I'm thinking... At the time, there weren't long-term symptoms. Well, yeah, at the time, they weren't long-term, but I wasn't recovering. And yet, I felt, again, fortunate I didn't have to go on a ventilator. I didn't have to be hospitalized for a long period of time. So I thought, well... I definitely have it easier. I don't have it easy, but I have it easier. So I did not want to have a pity party. And at the same time, I was still struggling with breathing and this fever and the headache, that kind of stuff kept staying with me for so long. And it was just extremely frustrating. And so that anxiety and that depression was there. And um, How did you balance everything between family, trying to take care of yourself, taking care of things at Autism Empowerment? How did you balance all of that stuff during those months? That's a good question. I would perseverate on COVID-19. They say a lot of autistic people, we have these special interests and whatever those are at the time, we <laughs> tend to put a lot of energy and passion into. Trains, dinosaurs, etc., etc. Yeah, well, and sign me up for my special interest at that time being COVID-19. Okay, <laughs> so I'm going to read everything on it. I'm going to listen. I'm going to watch. I Listen, Dr. Fauci. Yes, I must have become part of the Dr. Anthony Fauci fan club because, John, you even got me a bobblehead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was listening to that stuff daily. And how did I balance it? We have two kids at home, and at the time... Our youngest was in eighth grade and our other one was in college and both of them are on the spectrum. So I was thinking, how am I supposed to help them when I'm supposed to be quarantined from them? I'm supposed to be away from them. And John, oh my goodness, you stepped up so much. You stepped up so much to be able to help them with well, distance learning, with all of the household stuff, with everything that they needed. And you do a lot of that stuff anyway. You're an amazing husband and a super provider, a great dad. But I felt like I was absolutely useless. So trying to balance family, work, autism empowerment with COVID-19, it was difficult. But yeah, you were really awesome. Thank you. I did commit for better or worse than sickness and health. So. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely got a lot of sickness, sickness. <laughs> and worse this last year. But thanks to my autistic neurology. Well, honestly, the kids stepped up too. They, they, they did. Not just me. It was the kids that also stepped up. We were all there to support you and try to give you both mental encouragement and take care of you physically. Yeah, the kids are wonderful. I love them so much, and they were there for me, and I appreciate that a lot. So it was just a kind of a challenge then, just a, 
overall to, to balance everything. So thanks to my autistic neurology on good days, I could hyper focus on important work projects while mentally blocking out distracting symptoms. So essentially, a lot of my days I considered good days were days where I just had that kick-ass headache as well as the fever. But other than that, I could be somewhat functional. And so when I had times that I felt like I'd be good functional, I would hyper focus on or try to hyper focus on work projects. And then you'd crash when you yeah. didn't. Yeah. So unfortunately, I couldn't do that as often as I would like. I knew my body well enough to realize that when I worked for an extended period of time, I'd crash afterwards because my daily tokens or my daily spoons were almost depleted. Absolutely. So I felt a lot of guilt and shame and embarrassment during those months. Again, I thought I was letting my family and friends and everyone at Autism Empowerment down. Talking about this is difficult because I feel like all this conversation is about me, and I really like to put that on others. I like to shine the light on others. And due to the pandemic and state shutdown, our organization, Autism Empowerment, had to close all the in-person gatherings for our support groups, our social clubs, our Autism Kids Care Club volunteerism program, we ended up having to postpone the summer and fall issues of Spectrum Life. And I just we canceled our, our annual picnic. picnic, all sorts of different types of events. And it felt horrible. I felt so sad because I know that a lot of people out there were struggling and they still are. This pandemic is still going on. And I wanted to be able to be there to help be supportive for other people. And I just felt, oh, I don't want people to think that autism empowerment is just disappearing we had a lot of really great volunteers and board members that were so supportive. Most people were really kind and understanding. And I know that some people out there struggled with it a lot more than others. We did let a number of people in our community know that I did have COVID-19. But as I said, almost everybody out there was supportive. But some people, they just didn't care. How did you handle that? The people that weren't supportive? At first, I wasn't aware of it because I really wasn't following social media so well, much. Well, you're yeah. trying to get better. Yeah, of course. As I began to hear things through the grapevine, I tried to handle, essentially, I tried to address the situation respectfully. For me, I want to approach people from a place of grace and understand that they're struggling too. This pandemic is nothing that any of us have ever experienced before. If they were mad at our program's closing, it was less about us personally and more about the situation. It was more about the disruption of routine and a feeling of disappointment and helplessness. And so I can't fault people for that. If they need to put that upon the organization, that was okay because this is new for all of us. We feel what we feel. We experience what we experience. And good, bad, indifferent, it was difficult for so many people, the pandemic has been so hard. And although I've seen a lot of resilience, an awful lot of resilience that's given me so much hope, I know that there's been a lot of sadness and pain and struggling too. Now that we're here in 2021, I know that we are doing our best, you, me, our autism empowerment team, to really put out content through the podcast or the magazine to try to connect again with our community. But I totally know that people out there are still struggling and we just just want to let them know that you're not alone. We see you. So how are you physically and mentally doing? I am feeling a whole lot better than I did 10 months ago. But to be fair, I need to be honest with our listeners because I am what is called a COVID long hauler. 
So although I'd like to say and think I'm back at 100 or I'm back at 90%, the truth is I do have some long-term effects and I do have some additional health problems that developed since first becoming sick. And I'm not going to go into those personal private details, but I can say some of the things that are more significant that other people might be experiencing. And the most difficult to manage is the brain fog. That is when I just can't get what's in my head out of my mouth It's when I still get stuck looking at the computer screen and reading the same paragraph over and over. You could probably talk about this. It makes me feel sad, honestly, because I know you you typically always have a lot of things going on in your head and multiple thought streams, but it just seems to me like a lot of that is just in slow motion or it's been slowed down. And part of your essence, if you will, is missing you're still beautiful to me and still I love you. It's just, it's, I know part of you is different now. Yeah, part of me is different. And that's tough because I still want to be able to be there and to make a difference. Oh, I know you do. And you want to be able to help other people and shine a light on other people. Yeah, I still have a lot of aches and joint pains. These were mystery pains that I didn't have before. And those bloody headaches. I swear the last few weeks they have come back and I don't know why. So I also go through these periods, these ups and downs of fatigue. To be fair, I also have anxiety about catching COVID again because I know of a few people that have gotten COVID-19 more than once. That frightens me. And to be truthful, the depressive episodes still hit me and I get frustrated when I can't perform to the level that I could before. I try to use accommodations. So, for example, I use prompts and scripts for these podcasts to jog my memory. But I'm nervous about making mistakes. When I was working on editing and writing the last issue of Spectrum Life magazine, which just came out in January 2021, it was a big concern because I'm the editor. I do the vast majority of the proofreading. But luckily, I have a strong team of people I work with. You and Brian Tashima and Dave Bourne were really essential this past issue. I'm really thankful for that. I have found support online with a group on Facebook called Survivor Corps. They're a nonprofit grassroots movement that is educating and mobilizing COVID-19 survivors and helping to connect them with the different medical, scientific, and academic research that can help people know what's going on, help stem the tide of the pandemic, and help to assist in the recovery. I've felt some support with that. Maybe what we could do is put that in the show notes. That's a great idea, John. I will put that in the show notes because I believe that they are an excellent source for anybody who is looking for that support. There's a lot of us out there. Unfortunately, over 400,000 people in the United States alone have passed from COVID. And my heart hurts for all of those families. There's so many people impacted. And I feel that As a survivor, I need to do something positive to help make a difference. I realize that this type of topic isn't something that's easy to listen to or certainly not easy to talk about, but I do hope that it is going to positively reach at least one person out there. So we're getting close to the end. I have a couple more things I'd like to ask you. One thing is, what would you like to say to people out there in our community? I miss the community. I miss all of the people that I have gotten to know over the years through autism empowerment. And if you're listening and you happen to have met me or John personally, just know that we're thinking of you. We're hoping that you and anybody else who I've never met before, that you stay healthy, you stay hopeful, that you show yourself grace and forgiveness during the pandemic, that you wear your mask, 
and take this seriously because it is serious and that you be prepared with a health plan before you get sick. Practice advocacy because if you do unfortunately get sick and you're one of the unfortunate people who have an adverse reaction to it, it may be that you may not be able to have a loved one with you at the doctor's office. So if you can, take charge in advance and have a plan. I would also add if you're able to get the vaccine when you can, that will help us get to a healthier place as a whole community. I agree. So are there any other toolkits or anything out there that can help with as far as helping be prepared with a medical health plan? So there is a toolkit called Taking Charge of My Healthcare Toolkit that is designed to provide self-advocates with skills and tools and knowledge to learn how to best advocate for their own health and healthcare. We will go ahead and put the link to that in the show notes. I actually mentioned it in our recent issue of Spectrum Life in the Ask Spectrum Life section. I found it to be very helpful It's for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and their loved ones. It would be suitable for anybody that's on the spectrum. It can also be utilized by family members and direct service professionals who want to use that information to support their loved ones in their learning. I started to say this before, but it's worth repeating. Show yourself grace and forgiveness during this pandemic. The stress that this has brought on to everybody has been great. 2020 was not a stellar year for anybody, but despite all of the challenges and despite the social distancing, know that you're not alone. Know that you are not alone and that people care. Find a way to get connected, even if it's just listening to this podcast or connecting through resources, connect online and find a way that works best for you. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story, Karen. I really appreciate that. And I will hand it back to you to close us out. Thank you so much, John. I know this was a serious topic. You handled it well. You're my co-host. You're my best friend. We appreciate you hanging out with us and thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Autism Empowerment Podcast. If you'd like to get connected with our community, as well as all the great support and content we have planned for the future, please hit the subscribe button and visit www.autismempowermentpodcast.org for show notes, transcripts, social media details, Spectrum Life magazine, and more. Thank you again.